to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Today's guest is the rapper, hip-hop artist, Shad. He is also the host of the fantastic Netflix series, Hip Hop Evolution. Shad was in New York City. I was so thankful that we could sort of catch up with him because he was on tour. He, he was doing a concert later in Brooklyn. And I wanted to talk shop about his thoughts about the music industry, creating hip hop, learning your past and the history of your artistry, of your craft, so you can better prepare to do something new. And as a whole, I think I've always looked in other things, other avenues in culture to give me a better insight in food because food up until recently really wasn't observed, analyzed about what it means, where it's going to go in the history, right? Especially in America. So I wanted to see if there were other patterns that might help me better understand the culinary arts. So believe it or not, I've always looked at fashion and sports and, and literature and music, but one of the things that I've always appreciated was the birth of hip hop, the stories behind it. And although I've read a lot and I've listened to it, one reason why I really appreciated the series was the fact that like, I personally am sort of a visual person and it allowed me to connect certain things that I might've missed before. And it doesn't cover everything because that would be a humongously long, very, very long film, but it does cover how things spread where things are might be going. And if you aren't in the restaurant industry, this might help you better understand it if you happen to be a big fan of hip hop and vice versa. So forgive me if this seems to be far-fetched and a stretch, but I really felt for me, at least, it was, uh, there are some patterns that might be similar. And to be able to talk to someone that's not just entrenched in it, but a student of the game, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to see if there are any overlap because it's harder than ever to find any meaning about where things might be going in the culinary arts. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Shad. Hopefully you enjoy it. I'll shut up. We're in New York. We're at uh, the dining room of Co. And um, I was a huge fan of the first four episodes, cool. hip hop yeah. evolution, right? That's right. And the host, creator, producer, Shad. I can't credit myself as a creator. Okay. Yeah, I'm a host. You're, you're the host. I host the show. I, I was brought into the fold by um, the director and the main writer. We're all based in Toronto. So it was all kind of made up there. And they just brought me into the fold and I got to meet everybody that pioneered this music that's given me a lot of my life, that it's given a lot of people their life, their swagger, their energy, their inspiration. It's a joy. So before we go down that road, mm -hmm. you're a hip-hop artist yourself. That's it. Yeah, You're in New York mm -hmm. because you have a show to play. Yeah, I'm playing here in the Mecca. It's going to be great. And did you have any inclination that you were going to do TV? No, I did not. So these guys sat me down. Actually, I, was, I took the meeting just on the strength of like, I knew these guys and they're good people and they do good work. But I was very much thinking I'm not going to do this show because I've never done television. But you seem like a natural. Oh, thank you. You do. Well, really, I was, I was like, I told my manager, yeah, let's take the meeting. I know these guys are great guys. They do great work. But like, I'm not going to do it. Like, what have they done before? So Rodrigo, the main writer, he made this magazine called Pound Magazine that in Canada is like the greatest hip hop magazine we've ever 
produced, you know. And then the other guy, Darby, he used to program our Rap City. We had our own music videos channel called Much Music. And uh, he programmed all the rap music that I grew up on. So on the strength of these two guys, I was like, yeah, I'll take the meeting. Then as they're talking and I'm seeing all the books that they have in the background, you know, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, Jeff Chang's book and all these other seminal important texts about the history of hip hop. I'm like, you know what? They're going to do it. I left that meeting. I told my manager, like, they're going to do it. Like, they're going to make the best hip hop documentary series. Like, they're going to make the thing that our culture deserves. It just hasn't been created yet. And uh, they did. So I have to imagine there was a lot of arguing of what's in, what's out, right? Like, how oh, do you, yeah. this, oh, could, yeah. this could theoretically be like 10 year season. Oh, thing, yeah. Right? I mean, it's crazy. Like, we're up to two seasons now. That's just about seven or eight hours of television. So you'd think that would be a lot of space. But when you're talking about the story of hip-hop, like, especially if you're a fan, for every, like, seven tweets we get of, yo, the series is dope, we get a tweet of, like, how did you not put this person in it? You know, because there's so many difficult decisions to make. I think the guiding principle for the director is who evolved the genre. You know, it's called the evolution of hip-hop, hip-hop evolution. So... Who put out something? Who made a contribution? Who made music that actually changed hip-hop, that expanded it or transformed it in some way? So that's kind of the thing. I absolutely love the show yeah. because I love all forms of music. I don't know if I'm an expert in hip-hop, far from it, but it's a beautiful way to make music, and I respect everything you do. Thank you. I sort of had this epiphany watching the last season and I was like, shit, like I called my producer and I was like, man, like this show's awesome. We have a show on Netflix. This is a show on Netflix. I would love to talk to Shad because watching the the last season two, I, I sort of had this epiphany for me on the culinary end. Mm-hmm. The way you and your team on Hip Hop Evolution describe the creation of hip hop, I feel is almost the best way to describe how, how we cook food today. Mm, in what way? Break that down. Like you had all of this music done before and that was the status quo. Mm-hmm. And everything in music, almost like every 20, 25 years, something breaks off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Going back hundreds of years, right? Whether you go back to like Mozart and then you had rock, you had punk, you had all of these things. And then genesis of hip hop happens, a rap. And then people didn't know what to do because all of a sudden you got to a point in music where people technically aren't playing the traditional instruments. Yes. Yes. But like they're still singing and they're still expressing themselves. And that's no different to me than like folk music in Mm -hmm. in some ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, it's there and everyone knew it was familiar, but they don't know what to do with it. And we're living in a world now, at least with food, where with social media and the internet, everyone knows everything, Mm -hmm. but no one knows quite what to do with it. And I kept on thinking while watching your show, there was um, one of the episodes where you're talking about the beginning where uh, De La Soul were like one of the first people to really go esoteric with their samples yeah. and, and to bring in all kinds of music. I was like, that's fusion, yeah. right? And everyone is so uh, xenophobic and they're so afraid of admitting that everything in food is a blend of everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, that's so dumb. Yeah, yeah. And it's a long story cut short, I guess, because I could go on and on. I'm excited to talk to you about this. I was like, fuck, like, we're finally at a point now where people are cooking foods where they realize the only way to go forward is to take from everywhere. Mm. Mm. That's a very interesting parallel, man. 
that wasn't the parallel I thought you'd no. make, but I think that there's there's something that's very accurate there, you know, and pointing to technology because hip hop is electronic music. Like it started with the turntables, it started with the DJ, and that allowed this capacity to sample from everywhere. And then I think if we can like continue this parallel, right? Like the best DJs, the best producers are the ones that understand what they're sampling. They understand where that music is coming from and how it can be pieced together and recontextualized, you know? So they have a bit of that historical perspective. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Like, no, do, I, are, the, are the best chefs the same well, way? That's like, what I keep they on understand the it. roots or do they, do you not need to understand the well, roots? We're, we're at a weird place in the world today. It's a fucking weird time. But particularly in food, in my opinion, and I'm sure most people won't agree, mm -hmm. you don't have to be good to be a chef anymore. Let me explain that. Like, you don't have to be the greatest technician, right? Let's just say we, we want to make Same cakes, in music. Right? Same in music. Exactly. Yeah. You just have to have the ear. You got to learn. And yeah, technically speaking, the chefs in the early 80s, 90s from France were just masters. But like, we're talking about food moving forward, not backwards, mm -hmm. right? Like, it is going to be less technically gifted, mm -hmm. but more able to stitch together things that previous generations could not. And I was like, shit, this is exactly like I would imagine wow. yeah. like a hip hop artist or a producer being like, yo, we got to merge this with this and this. And then, no, that doesn't work. So let's try it here. Let's try it here. And then like get something that you instinctively feel yeah. is good. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is like now, let's say you're a vocalist, right? Let's say you're a rapper or a singer in the studio. Before, if you want to be a professional singer, let's go back a couple hundred years, right? You got to train. You got to stretch your range. Can you sing down here? Can you sing up here? You know, your tone, you know, whatever. Now it's like, well, we can change the pitch of your voice. That's not an issue. We can uh, correct the pitch of your voice. That's not an issue. It's something else that makes a singer great now in a recorded form. You know, it's that some of the things you were describing, like, do you have the ear? Do you have the, the tone of voice that people want to hear? You know, it's almost like, yeah. do you know what the zeitgeist is? Right. Can you yeah. tap into that? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to describe it because it's so hard for me to describe it in food. But when I see it, cause like we're at a place in food where it's so hard to unravel what's happening because we're in that bubble. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm encouraging myself and a lot of my peers, like let's stop talking to each other. Mm -hmm. We need to start looking at elsewhere in the world that's mm -hmm. been established. And there's many of articles and books written and lo and behold, you have a show. And I feel like if a cook can watch hip hop evolution, like you're going to better understand your own craft. Mm -hmm. if you really look at it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate the show. Tremendous. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I got a question for you. Yeah. So how much do you think understanding the history matters to the craft now in cooking? <laughs> Yesterday, one of my cooks said, Hey, I made this cooked egg and I, turn it into a sauce and it sounded really cool. It was like a fried egg emulsion. I'm not going to blow up my chef's cuisine. And I'm like, so you made a grubish. I was like, man, like it's great, but bro, everything's been done before. You just made it sound like you did it, but you didn't. And maybe you might fool 90% of the population, but if you can't fool the 10% that know mm. you're a poser, man. Mm. So you think it still matters? It matters on intent. Yeah. That's what I think. And I think truly to appreciate the past allows you to make better things moving forward. Because, you know, there's that line by Stanley Kubrick in that documentary that I love so much where he says like, or Jack Nicholson speaking on his behalf, it's like everything in movies has been done already. It's our job to do it a little bit better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the way I like, how do you do something better unless you know what's came before you? Mm -hmm. 
And if you are a producer or an artist, like it's funny to me, it seems to me like the greatest artists that helped evolve hip hop, they knew all kinds of music that came before them. Yeah. And if you don't know that, it's not a ceiling on you, but it's not going to really help you out either. Yeah, I would put it exactly the same way. If I listen to somebody like, say, Kendrick Lamar now or Vince Staples, I can hear that they know L.A. hip hop. They know the tradition of music that they come from, but they've also embraced their access to all this new studio, you know, technical capacities and they've evolved it. So, yeah, I would agree with exactly how you put it at the end there. It might not be necessary, but it doesn't help you to not know. Right. And I wanted to have all tools at my disposal. Yeah. And I'd also add, at least from the culinary end, I'd love to see if you agree with this. Mm. It is almost more important to know everything that came before you and all the rules and all the history that allowed you to get to the certain point, because I want to know what rules I need to break. Yeah. That's it. That's it. You got to kind of perfect the form and then you can break out of it. I think that's the best way to move forward. Some people kind of, I don't know, they roll a six, you know, they just try something. They're 16 and they just try something and it happens to be brand new. But yeah, I think generally speaking, the way people grow in their craft and their art form is they learn what came before. They perfect it. They learn the principles and the rules that underlie that. And then they start bending those and playing with those. I think Outkast is an example of that to me, of like, they understood the hip hop that came from New York. They understood Southern music and they figured out how to remain hip hop, but also bring in their Southern culture and just like expand the boundaries of hip hop that way. And hip hop to me is always like something I think about as a cultural marker, because every time I hear, like I can tie moments in my life where I hear a song or there's something I've said where I was like, oh, I don't like that. Mm. Only later to be like, that was amazing. Like, mm. I can't, pl- I love thinking about it because it reminds me how stupid I was. Interesting. And I was in a car. I'm, I'm good friends with Dan, the automator, Dan Nakamura. And yeah. we were in the mission and we we're eating some burritos and I get into, into his car and he's like, he turns up the volume and I'm like, Dan, what the fuck are we listening to? What the fuck? I mean, I was so almost angered. Dan, he's like, it's polka. Polish polka. I was like, what the fuck? And he was just like, he had hours and hours of polka music. And I just went on like a five minute tirade of how bad this was. Yeah. And he's like, all he said was this, this one line, yo, DC, it's a matter of how you listen to it. How do you hear it? Interesting. And I just shut the fuck up. I was like, I'm so stupid. (laughs) That's classic. That's classic DJ producer. Like that's classic DJ producer. You know, like my DJs here uh, in the room, you know, you hear DJs talk. They're like, oh, man, you up on the Bulgarian jazz scene of the 70s? Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been digging into that. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy. But like, they love it all. And I love that, man. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, that's what I want to be as a chef, too. Like, mm-hmm. I know James Murphy from LCD really well. And he has this extensive record collection. I'm like, dude, you have so many horrible fucking albums. And he's listening to them. And I'm like, bro. This is all awful. Not even the good disco. This is just bad disco. And he's just listening to it. And I'm like, what the fuck are you listening to? Dude, you know what my theory is? My theory is when you really love something, you love it when it's bad. Amen. That's my theory. Same with, like, I feel the same with food. That's it. Like when people, um, when I ask someone, oh, like what music do you listen to? What do you like? I like Motown. You don't like music. That's the best music. 
<laughs> you like the best. Everyone likes that. If you have ears, you like that. You know, when someone's like, I've lately, I've just been super into uh, Chechen funk from uh, the 60s, 62 to 64. I'm like, you like music because that's not good. There's no way that's good. You know what I mean? And then they're telling me like, oh, but you don't know this musician, this session guitarist, the drummer. And they're listening. They're so finely attuned to music because they are masters of the craft like you and you are. And they're listening for things that are not noticeable to the regular Joe. 100%. And I find so much beauty in that because what they're able to do with their technical prowess and the skill set they've learned and acquired is to weave that into something new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is what food is today. 100%. That's dope. That's super dope. Yeah, I never thought of that parallel either, but that's exactly what a producer will do. They'll be like, oh, you know what people haven't heard in New York though? Is that Bulgarian jazz swing, the kind of <laughs> swing they had when they did it, like they haven't heard that. And that's so funky. Like you don't even know. Right. And so they'll sample that up. It's a hit song because they know. And I'd imagine chefs is the same way. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And every time you get to a city and every time you go through sort of the history on the show, I'm like, that's just another chef or that's exactly the moment in time or this thing happened in food. Hmm. And I was like, shit, like this is to me food, right. Hmm. And food moving forward. So I was like, shit, I don't know how to, I guess we're talking about it, but it's been in my head for so long. And I'm like, today in food, the things that are most interesting, right? Historically to me now are the places where you're like, what the fuck? Like, I think that there's some kind of unified theory that whether it's good music, art, deliciousness, these are like memes that like, Hmm. the only thing that's going to prevent it from like um, happening is totalitarian thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That left to its own free will. It's like Darwinism. It's going to like happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if I look to someplace like Kuala Lumpur, if you haven't been, it's beautiful city with this rich, vibrant food, but it's got the indigenous population food. It's got Indian food and it's got Chinese food. Mm. And over the past hundred years, it's like, what the fuck is this? All I know it's good, but it's, I can't tell what, which is which. Yeah. And then if you look throughout the world where cool shit's happening, right? Last season in our show, we went to uh, Houston. I think the most exciting thing in America is happening in Houston, which is why when you when you hit huh. Houston and Bun B and all that, I was like, oh man, like they represent almost parallel the food that's happening in Houston too. Okay. I, I really so, believe so that. So what, what's popping in Houston right now on the food side? Cajun Vietnamese. Bomb. Yeah. And then think about what Cajun is. That's yeah. already like... It's fucking weird. Five, six things. It's so crazy. Cultures and coming together. I love together. it. You're like, yeah. what? And I actually took so much of it when you were talking about the Houston episode where, shit, I can't remember. You were talking about the dude that's wearing uh, overalls. Willie D? <laughs> Willie D. He yeah. was in uh, Ghetto Boys, right? Mm-hmm. And how that was representative of that area. And like, when I look at all the chefs doing Houston food, mm. it is distinctly Houston to me. It's yeah. not like anywhere else in America. And then- all of them are beginning to like embrace Vietnamese culture in a way that no other place in America can do. Hmm. Right. And mixed with like Cajun shit, you know, it's weird and I love it. And that's so weird. It's amazing to me because if you really think about it, Cajun food and Vietnamese food, they have a lot of parallels, right? Well, you got the French spicy. Yeah. Seafood based Mm -hmm. and a lot of rice. Yeah. So over time, all that shit's going to overlap and, you're getting this weird shit happening. Yeah. And I say weird in the best possible sense. Weird that is not the status quo. Yeah. But so many, you know, and then you think of so much that went into those two cultures connecting 
in Houston, right? Like from what I understand of Cajuns, like uh, we have in Canada, Acadien, we call them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Acadien, right? So th- those are the French people that came down at some point. Well, first of all, came over to Canada at some point, went down there. And then you got, you have that Caribbean influence, of course, all that. Boom, boom, boom. And then I don't know all the Vietnamese history, but the French were over there at some point. Immigration wave happened, I don't know when, to America, maybe in the 60s or 70s or something. And then here we are. The story I had for you is like my family's from Rwanda, East Africa. And I grew up eating, you know, what my mom made. Some of it is like definitely staple East African food. But also what I thought was staple East African food that my mom made were samosas and chapati, stew. I only found out when I was like 10 or 11 that that's Indian food because there have been Indian people in East Africa for 200 years. Because the British forced them over there. Exactly. That's amazing, right? It's amazing. And, and that's sort of like what I left thinking very clearly now was, wait, what they're doing in, in this show, Hip Hop Evolution, is mm-hmm. describing the story of culture through music mm-hmm. as it's spread and how that's it. it originated from the epicenter in the Bronx mm-hmm. and had slowly found a way where it's almost like a patois, that it becomes each and every city's own thing. It's exactly what your show does, I think, just on a smaller little micro America level. Do you know what I mean? Right. Whereas yours touches on the history of, of the whole world. This is on a little micro level of like this New York culture goes down to Houston. And what does it turn into? This New York culture goes down to Miami. What do they gravitate towards? Well, they like the low end. That's all they cared about. They're like, yo, this music is dope. You know, it's people m- looking like us making this dope music. But the thing we love about it, the low end. We're just going to keep that. Y'all can keep the rest. You know what I mean? And so absolutely, like it's the same thing. We're doing the same thing. And if I had more time to listen to more music from different eras and regions, particularly in hip hop, my new little theory that I'd love to just spend time uh, listening to music is to chart out the feel and vibes of certain hip hop artists. Is that representative to the parallel of the kind of food that's like representative? Of that Whoa, town? that right? would be dope. Right? That would be dope. I think that there is. When, mm-hmm. I, when you were talking about Oakland, I was like, man, like, I think for lack of a better word, the zeitgeist in Oakland music might be representative somehow in the food. Vice versa, like all all over, like Mm -hmm. Chicago to Chicago hip hop, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And like, I could be wrong, but it's, it would be fun to explore. That would be very fun to explore. I'm trying to think just off the top of my head right now, but I mean, in Toronto, for example, yeah, you would feel that for sure because we've always had the West Indian influence in our music, hip hop music. And I mean, that's what we're known for on the food side right. as well. So, yeah, that would be very cool, actually. I think there's got to be. Like, for instance, yeah. if you have um, Dylan from Ghetto Boys wearing overalls and riding a horse or something, mm-hmm. like that kind of freedom to express yourself that way mm-hmm. has to have some parallel to some chef being like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'm not a country bumpkin from Houston, but like I live in Houston and this is what I grew up in. So, yeah, I'm going to do things that I'm not supposed to do. And that's mm-hmm. what I think. It's not going to be a direct parallel, but the whole freedom to express yourself of that region. Mm-hmm. That's what I, at the core of who I am, that gets me super excited. Hmm. I'm also thinking about like the tempo of different music. You know, Miami's more up-tempo. And I wonder if there's some kind of parallel to that in the food, right? Like Absolutely. If I didn't think of that that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always the parallel with the music and drugs. That's always one that people draw, like, this is why it sounds like this, because they're kind of using these drugs or whatever. But I think the food one would be interesting, very underexplored in hip hop. 
Um, wow, my brain is sort of shutting down because I have all these thoughts running through my head. So everything's canceling out right now. But um, what's the next thing in hip hop? So I, mm-hmm. I like this. I, I try to think about a lot of things happening in culture. So it gives me some insight to what's going to happen in, in food. Interesting. What's, what's mm. the next thing that's happening in music, particularly mm. in hip hop? It's kind of anybody's guess, but my guess is this. So much of hip hop now, you know, stuff has gone very much to the computer, very much to the digital. And as we were kind of saying at the outset, like stuff has become easy for people to make. I think even the new kids that love this technology, that love having access to the, you know, the ability to make music, I think they're a little bit unchallenged by how easy it is to produce kind of, you know, big sounding great songs. So I could see something going back to like roots almost, people rediscovering groove and musicianship and those sort of soulful textures and feelings in music. You know, that's kind of 70s sort of like vibe. I could see a lot of kids trying to explore that because they've done this sort of slower tempo, very digital sounding, very kind of cold and minimal thing for a while. I could see them exploring that. Which is, again, weird because... That's exactly what I say in food. Interesting. Everything is cyclical. It's this dialectic, right? The, we're reaching this phase in food where, oh shit, like if everyone knows how to do everything and if I make this cool recipe that everyone can copy it, I got to do something that makes it really hard to copy. So I better become an expert in like just cooking with fire hmm. or barbecue or like shit that is like so not cool. So we got this weird thing and restaurants are going to go more and more like fast casual, more and more delivery more and more huge corporate restaurants. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have places that are like, I got to open up something where you can't get delivered at home and that you can't learn how to cook just because you watch it on YouTube. I got to learn to be a master of something that requires intuition. Hmm. Hmm. And people want to listen to that. Yeah. Or in the same thing with music. Now people yeah. want to go to live shows no more than ever before. Yeah. yeah. That experience. Well, yeah. And artists are thinking about how can I create a live experience that's special because there's so much that people can listen to online. Okay. Here's an, here's a question for you. What is classic? Like what will never go out of style food wise? We'll never go out of style. And I'm thinking about that in hip hop. Like what will never go out of style. Oh man. There's so many. Well, First of all, you got to take a global perspective. You got to look at the food cultures that have been around for like a thousand years. Mm-hmm. So like all of the Middle East, mm-hmm. all of Chinese food, all of Asia, they're just like, we've done this shit longer than you've been a country. So don't tell us that like we got to change. People right? are always going to like this. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, yeah. that is just never going to change. It'll change at a glacially slow pace. So that's one thing I think like some version of fast food is is never going to change like that quick sugary hit like pop song stuff. That's just the main vein stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, in hip hop, I think of, uh, there is a texture to like a soul sample that people will always like, you know, Drake just had this hit song sampling Lauren Hill. It just feels good. It feels like, you know, it feels like the history of black music transformed into something else. It feels hip hop. It feels good. I feel like that will never go out of style in hip hop. James Brown drums, you know, those drum breaks. It's like that will never not feel good when someone samples some of those drums. Why is Illmatic? People will, people will try to make Illmatic forever. Like there will be rappers. But this, that album itself yeah, is timeless. It's timeless, you know, because it's so 
essentially, quintessentially hip-hop. You know, it's this young street poet, wise beyond his years, and incredible beats. And that is hip-hop. Like, that is in people's brains when they think of hip-hop. They basically think of, I would say, Illmatic and uh, The Chronic on the West Coast. That's hip-hop in people's brains. In 25 years, are kids going to listen to Illmatic and The Chronic and be like, wow, this is like listening to, like, Elvis Presley. It's like so, so yeah, old. So the question in my mind is, I wonder if they'll think of it as Elvis Presley or the Beatles. Like, like, you know, so there's like that fine line of like, the Beatles still sound dope. Elvis Presley sounds old. And to me, Illmatic and uh, The Chronic are kind of that dividing line in my mind. Stuff before that, Run DMC now. Sounds old. Sounds old. The Chronic Tribe records around that time, Illmatic. It's like those still sound dope. They sound classic. They don't sound, you can't play them sonically side by side, maybe beside, you know, some of the newer stuff, but they sound classic. You said that too about a low end theory by Tribe Called Quest too. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. I was like, I listen to that album all the time. I'm like, I listened to it again recently. I was like, shit, this is a classic album. It, it still feels classic. I think right around that time, you have a dividing line and stuff before that, just feels a little bit old because that's when the genre was just like evolving like every day. What makes it classic? What makes it timeless? Cause that's a mm-hmm. fucking weird thing. I know. Like how, know. how, like what did they do? I think through the mid eighties, uh, sorry, late eighties, early nineties, the genre was just evolving new styles every day. People are coming up with and evolving the rap style, you know? So when we interviewed DMC, for example, and asked him about rock Kim, I said, what did you think when you heard rock Kim? He's like, I knew we were done. <laughs> That's literally what he said. Because it's just, it was so much more advanced. And then I think Nas was a similar evolutionary step. It was like, whoa, we need to, and rappers have said this, they heard Illmatic and they're like, we need to throw away everything we were working on. And now we need to be, we have to be on par with this. So what makes it classic? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's, it's the like, same way about food. Like there's certain dishes you're like, fuck man, like that's never going to go out of style. Like, it just reaches a point where it's like the blue Oxford shirt or something. Yeah. It's just like you arrived at a thing that is like, that's good. That will always be good. I don't know. I mean, it's not even in food in like low end dining, like burgers and shit. I, I'm talking about dishes at the the most expensive levels where you're like, well, that's just a perfect fucking dish. Like I, I don't even, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like Keller, Thomas Keller, who yeah. is the most probably inaccessible to everyone because it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. He did many classic dishes, but he did a Cornetto salmon. Mm-hmm. So it's like a little ice cream cone stuff with creme fraiche at the bottom. And then like a tartare of like salmon or tuna on top. And it looks like an ice cream cone. You bite it. It's like, oh, it's a perfect fucking bite. Like that's never not going to be in fashion. It's yeah. never not going to be delicious. Yeah. Or he has this dish of oysters and pearls, even though the name's sort of silly. It's got tapioca and caviar and it's a very luxurious dish. That dish is like 25 years old. Crazy. It's never not going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And there are other versions of that in every level. We were like, well, that's like, even if you go to like Nobu, like a, the fried rock shrimp. I don't yeah. know if you had that or, yeah, yeah. or even like you go to PF Chang's like rock shrimp there. It's like a lesser version of that. It's like, fuck man. Like, is it never not? No. Someone told me that the number one most ordered item at PF Chang's and the restaurants of that genre are fried rock shrimp. And then the number two is lettuce cups. So that tells you something about like humanity, like around the world. That's the shit that people want, man. 
And, and like, whether it's a classic dish or not, that's what I'm trying to articulate or, or convey is when I listen to some song where like, man, like everyone likes it. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't know what it is. It's like the evolution reaches a point where it's like, well, that's perfect. Now we can make it different. We can maybe improve upon certain things, but you know, on the technical side in hip hop, it's like when you got to low end theory, there are certain things in terms of sampling time and they just got the equipment to be able to execute their ideas finally. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But like beyond that, we're just kind of making better versions of Illmatic and The Chronic. Huh. Yeah. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Roman. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care. Some shave their head. Some embrace hats. But what they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash Chang, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship you medication to you with free two-day shipping and discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, Starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the Dave Chang Show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash Chang. That's GetRoman, one word, slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G, for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash Chang. So if I see a pattern, particularly if I just watch your show... Mm the iconoclast, the people that were the catalyst for the evolution were the people that were listening to things that they were not supposed to listen to. Like yes. Grandmaster Flask using Kraftwerk. I was like, that's fucking amazing. Who the fuck was listening to Kraftwerk then? Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Progressive, he was just a, a rich white kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know no, what and I, mean? I, I love, I love that the series can illuminate that fact, which is exactly what your series does, right? Like, yo, people, some people are really open mind, more open minded than you think. And uh, that's kind of key, right? Africa Bambata, when he brought hip hop to downtown. It was Africa Bambata for Kraftwerk, wasn't it? Uh, he was very into Kraftwerk. Yeah, that was, yeah. It, that was it. Yeah, but I mean, De La Soul with their their type of sampling and, you know, Beastie Boys were the same thing. I mean, they they pick up everything. They chop up everything. But that's the spirit of hip hop, right? Like hip hop was DJ Cool Herc was playing not just one genre of music. He was playing the James Brown stuff that you didn't hear on the radio. He was playing random soul records you wouldn't hear on the radio. He was playing, um, you know, one of the, the, the most important breakbeats in hip hop is uh, Incredible Bongo Band. Like if I played you the record, you would know the drums. And that was a weird one-off random, I don't even know if that group ever made anything else. <laughs> You're like, right. It's just this mix of like Latin and soul drumming. So he was playing all the stuff. That's what hip hop was, was you went to DJ Cool Herc parties because he was playing all of this stuff that everyone in that community loved because that was their culture. But isn't that beautiful, right? Like it's amazing. People that might normally be closed off to some kind of genre mm -hmm. because like they're not supposed to like it. Mm -hmm. Someone else plays and they're like, I like this. Yeah. That just shows you how stupid 
cultural biasness is. Yeah, yeah. It's those DJs that went, you know what? No, that's funky. That Aerosmith intro, that's hard. And that whatever that is, I don't care what it is. And I don't care who made it. It's hard. It's funky. And I'm going to play them all together. Do you feel like the people that have made the biggest impressions in hip hop were the ones that were the most open? Like Mm, to to the world, right? Yes. A hundred percent. And then like we were talking about earlier with the rules, they studied enough to know this is hip hop, but I love everything. So how can I, how can I stay rooted in this hip hop thing, but bring in this flavor that's uniquely my own or uniquely our own, our cultures, you know, within this space of hip hop, you know, so they have the knowledge and the history and the groundedness in a culture to know how they can play with it. But yeah, everyone we feature in our series are people that push the boundaries, that evolve the music. And it's because of their open-mindedness in their ear. Could you have done another series on the people that are not the musicians? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, like yeah. I, I, I met Ralph McDaniels recently. Mm-hmm. And the stories he has, I was like, fuck, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many people in hip hop. I mean, our series really focuses on the music. There's dancers, there's DJs, there's uh, media personalities and journalists. And so many people have so many incredible stories. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to say, you know, with hip hop, for sure. I had a question for you. Yeah. DC. Yes. Because if I think about hip hop, DC's sort of underrepresented compared to a lot of other major cities because they had this go-go scene for so long that was like their thing. People don't know go-go, man. People like, don't know <laughs> go-go still. It's like, that was the DC thing. They're like, yeah, hip-hop. I don't know what they thought about hip-hop even. Like, go-go was That the, was it. That was it. Yeah. I mean, the early 90s, like, yeah. that's all you heard. Especially once you got to DC proper, that's that was it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what about in the food scene? Is DC kind of... Uh, does it punch above its weight, kind of under its weight? Is it? DC has gone through a renaissance the past like 15 years. Mm. And it's a weird thing because it's like sort of its own town, but it's not, doesn't have a sense of place, but it does. Mm. And you're having an influx of chefs, I think obviously led by Jose Andres. And even before that, like the Kincaids of the world, they're like, we don't need anyone else's approval. That to me is like when a city is like, gonna be on fires when they're mm. like wait we don't need anyone to tell us what to fucking do and that's what's being developed in dc is like we're doing our own thing and you guys got to catch up with us mm. we don't mm. give a fuck and it's happening you have a lot of restaurants that are not um how should i say like 16 years ago in copenhagen renee redzepi who's one of my close friends opened up noma And like Copenhagen would never be considered one of the great culinary capitals of the world mm-hmm. but what happened was is like you know what Historically, Copenhagen has only opened up French restaurants or facsimiles of French restaurants. Fuck that. We're going to do something that is just us. And I think you can see that in hip hop or any kind of artistry or craftsmanship is when people stop trying to copy and start to be influenced, but use that influence to fuel mm. their own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a long-winded way of me saying like DC is trying to just worry about DC and you're yeah. seeing restaurants that are just you're not going to see it anywhere else, you know? Hmm. And then eventually DC becomes the platform that people are trying to cop. Yeah, yeah. Toronto's starting to get that swagger with hip hop. I don't know if on the food side, but like with hip hop, we, we're just starting to get that sense of like, no, we're dope. We're cool. And Well, exactly. Yeah. Toronto is, people are always like, why we have a restaurant in Toronto. Everyone's like, why would you open up Toronto? It's like, why not? I mean, 
depending if you get the the outer boroughs, it's the third largest city in North America. It's I gigantic. Think. It's gigantic. Yeah. It's got two airports. It's got every professional sports franchise yeah. you'd want. Diversity, like probably one of the most diverse and represented in its food. I was like, why not? If you think Chicago is a good town, like Toronto's way better. Yeah, the diversity in Toronto is on a whole other level when I travel. Like we have people from, like, I'm from Rwanda. Like we have people from places no one's ever heard of. Like my neighborhood is Little Malta. Like Malta's little and we got a Little Malta. Like that's how diverse Toronto is. It's crazy. And and that's what's happening with Toronto. It's it's slowly finding an identity in the city to be and, and that's why I really resonate with your show. It's like, mm-hmm. wait a second, like we can do it too. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly building that confidence to be like, we don't need anyone to tell us we're good. Mm-hmm. And that's happening in, in a variety of ways in Toronto food scene. But I've always said Toronto's at an awesome food scene. It's just not quote unquote. White, white people food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like the best restaurants to me in Toronto are not, they're in um, Markham. Yeah, I heard you went to, because I need to know the name of the spot. Because I lived in Vancouver and there was a dope fresh noodle spot there. But I mean, Richmond has got some of the best Chinese food in North America. So I need to know the, the fresh noodle I mean, spot. All, here's the beautiful thing about these towns, these cities, is you can go to a part of the town or the, the surrounding neighborhood and not see any signs in English and to have that sense of foreignness that you're, and you have no idea what's going on, Mm -hmm. that you are the foreigner to me is a important thing for everyone to experience. So what we always get told in, um, in Canada is that one of the main differences between us and America, and this is how we term it in Canada is like America's a cultural melting pot and Canada, we call a cultural mosaic Meaning like people can really retain their culture and just sort of sit beside each other and just figure it out or whatever. So absolutely, like you, you, there's people that 100% just like live their language, their culture, you know, in the middle of Toronto or yeah, on I mean, the outskirts like, of Toronto. Like I can get Jamaican food and know it's awesome. Like eating oxtail is not like you eat oxtail. Like mm-hmm, no. everyone eats oxtail. <laughs> every, 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 in Toronto, everyone needs talks to It's true. It's true. It's true. You know, there'll be some some you know banker looking you know white dude will just pop in and be like, yeah, I need some extra gravy on the oxtail. They just know about that. It's just it's, like it's, it's amazing, and I, I love Toronto. You know, one of my favorite things is going to watch a Raptors game, a home game, because mm-hmm. it is unequivocally, in my opinion, I have no data to support this other than my two eyes. The most diverse crowd in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. is every fucking skin color and yeah. every kind. It's like women, brown people, black people, white people, Asian people is not that way in the rest of the America. You're absolutely right. A, a Raptors game is a perfect microcosm. You really see everybody and everyone's excited and cheering for the Raptors, but it is crazy diverse. And and again, it's every single, I, I, I go to some cities they are like, yeah, we're very diverse here. And it's like, you have four cultures here. You have four. <laughs> you have four. But I've been to a Maple Leaf game and it's not as diverse. No, we don't know about that. <laughs> we don't know about like, that. Wow, I might be the only Asian person. We don't know about that. Right Hockey's a little prohibitive. <laughs> yeah, hockey's a little more prohibitive. I, I never grew up playing. I think there was an era of Canadian immigration where kids played hockey, no matter where you came from. You know, there's some there's some people in the NHL, some black people in the NHL from Scarborough. They just kind of grew up playing. But like my parents didn't know nothing about skating let alone hockey you know to put me in that 
That would be something if Rwanda produced the best hockey players. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be, that's a few decades <laughs> away, I think. Um, uh, yeah. I have like a couple more questions mm. and, and let you go. And I know you got to get ready for the concert. Uh, there's a lot of people in New York City that are sort of not afraid, but they're not paranoid. But there's a underlying complaint that, wait a second, like New York's not the culinary capital of the world anymore. Mm. Wait, no, we are. That if you have to ask, <laughs> we're still number one, right? You're not. You know, it's like the whole idea from the the singer poet Dave Berman of the Silver Jews. He's like, punk rock died when the first kid said punk's not dead, right? Like, hmm. I hear more and more journalists that like, hey, New York, we're still like the epicenter of the world. No, we're not, and we need to embrace that. Hmm. Interesting. I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's nothing that New York has done. Certainly, economics are not favorable for new restaurants. It's it's very prohibitive to be a younger chef trying to open up their own spot. Yeah. The mom and pop restaurant is going to be more and more difficult. I don't know what the future holds. But when I look at what happened with hip hop. Yeah. Hey. Right? Like, it goes through cycles. Some, some young buck or someone, young Turk person is going to open up restaurant. And like, maybe now we don't know about it. It's going to be like, New York's back. But for right now, I feel like we're in that weird, hmm. like early '90s pre-Biggie phase where people are like, "Wait, what? What's going on, man? Like, where's New York? We need a Biggie right now yeah. because LA is fucking crushing it right now. San really? Francisco is crushing it right now. Yeah. Houston, New Orleans, everywhere around the world, particularly in America, they've taken ideas from New York and they've brought it back and they've internalized it and they're now making their own thing. And mm-hmm. you can go all over America and have amazing food. Well, that's the story of hip hop too, right? A hundred percent. Atlanta is considered the capital basically right. of hip hop at this moment. Toronto has the biggest rapper in the world. This thing's spread out and that's just North America. I mean, this thing is spread out all over the world, of course, but like, yeah, man. Are uh, New York rappers or hip hop community being like, no, 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 we're still the fucking best. Probably. <laughs> and, and I mean, when I'm in New York, I can feel that hip hop is the culture of here. It is the culture of here. Whereas everywhere else, it's like hip hop went there and they've embraced it and they've incorporated it into their life and they love it. We love it in Toronto, but like hip hop is the culture of New York. Like there is no other culture for a lot of people in New York. You grew up in the Bronx in the, in the 70s or 80s or 90s. It's like hip hop is your culture. There's no other culture you can have. And that's a fundamental difference that will never change. But that doesn't change the fact that the biggest rapper in the world is from Toronto. Uh, right now. And Atlanta is the place to be, you know. And as a, someone that's based in New York and spending a lot of time on the West Coast, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to take a, a more mature position. And when I have to be the voice of reason to some of my friends, like, you know, we're in fucking trouble. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's just embrace it, man. Let's yeah. celebrate these other cities and let's learn from them. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to fuck ourselves if we think that we have nothing to learn from all these other cities that are doing something amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like... Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit in the show, in uh, Hip Hop Evolution, but like, you know, Q-Tip listened to this Dre record and was like, damn, that's great. He wasn't thinking, I need to shut him down. He's thinking, I need to take from the sonic clarity that he's achieved, because we've always made hip hop real dusty and dirty. Wow, he made it sound clear and perfect. I need to learn from that. I need to embrace that and learn from that. Again, that's how things kind of keep evolving and progressing. If you don't, close your ears to what other people are doing. And you covered all these artists. You know more about hip hop than probably, 
I've never met anyone that probably knows more about hip hop. What is it about the longevity of an artist and you being one yourself? I'm a chef and I've been almost paranoid about my relevance or not, 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 not I'm scared about it. I want to know when I'm at my best so I can transition out Interesting. in a, in, yeah. a, in a, in a fashion that like when the music stops, I'm not going to look like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, wow, and like, that's a good question. I never thought about that with respect to cooking. I never thought about the fact that there's a timeline on it. Yeah. It's almost like an artist or a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. It's very physical. There's yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's a Venn diagram that touches all these things, but I constantly think about when you are at your best, yeah. not because I want to prolong it. It's the one time I'm actually optimistic because I want to be in it. And when I'm in it, I want to fucking like squeeze every goddamn drop. And when it's done, it's done. Because yeah. I never want to be that athlete's like, I can still play. Yeah, yeah. I never want to be the artist that's like, that sounds like elevator music, man. What are you doing? Exactly, exactly. Well, I, I think a lot about athletes when I think about my career and try and see what's going on. So I follow basketball a lot. And one thing that happens in basketball, well, there's a natural age thing, you know, but there's also just the game changes. So let's say you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or whatever. You got your like post-up game and your sky hook. It's like now people don't play basketball like that. That doesn't exist in basketball. People shoot threes and they get dunks and that's it. So I try to think about how is the game changing and can I still play this, you know, do I need to change with the game? Like, do I need to learn how the game is played now? And then I also think about the age thing. You know, the vets, they lose a half step. Like, I might lose a half step. I'm 36 now. But, like, I do have some savvy. So, like, I can see the play maybe before other people can see the play. So, I think about all that that sort of stuff, too. But, yeah, you also got to think about when you got to go. Like, right. when you when you can't play anymore. When the game has changed and you can't adapt and... And move on to something else and try to contribute in some other way. Like, right. I want to transition like Elton Brand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, that guy's smart. He's so smart. Yeah, yeah. And he knew that, like, while well, he was number one draft pick, injuries derailed his career. Hey, man, like, I'm going to go in this and I'm going to... Yeah. Dude, four years later, he's the GM of the 76ers. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think you have the right attitude from this whole conversation about openness and stuff because I think it's about being open to, like, how can I help? Am I not helping anymore? Like, you know, is my making music not helping anymore? If so, then that's cool. Then I'm out. But yeah, while you're in there, you got to you gotta get it. But the game changes. You know, Tim Duncan's the greatest power forward of all time. Now, what he, what he did four years ago doesn't exist in basketball. Like, you can't even do that anymore. And then I think about someone like Nas mm-hmm. and his career trajectory. I see this with some of my friends where the, your success so early on mm-hmm. becomes an albatross and you can't get out of your own shadow, man. It's fucked up, man. <laughs> it really is. It's crazy, man, because history is a weird thing that you can't predict how you're going to, you know, he was 19. He was just making a thing and it was incredible. And now it's bigger than even what it was probably at that moment in time. It's just illmatic. It's like larger than life, larger than him. Um yeah, I never thought about that with with cooking, but yeah, I could see that. It is very physical. Do you know any hip hop artist that's gotten like had their career peak later in life after they've had like a first trajectory, you know what I mean, like mm. a second run? Oh, that's a good question. Cuz it almost never happens. No, it almost it almost never happens. What I can 
Or Jay, engineer saying Jay Z, but I don't think that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Jay had a nice run with uh, after the Black Album. He's like continued to produce some like good work. You but, think it's Jay Z too? But that's like a rare. That's a rare thing. What I think <laughs> about is this, and there might be a, an analogy to cooking. What I think is like De La Soul, for example. You know, had these great albums, and then they made Stakes as High, which solidified to me that solidified the legacy in a great way. And I think artists do that sometimes is like, you know, you have a couple albums that you've made your name, you're great. And then you, you get over a certain hump with like that fourth album or great third album or great fifth album where now you are um, more than just a kid who, who um, had some luck. You're like, no, this is a great artist. I think Outkast did that. That sort of three album thing. Three album peak. That three album thing. What about like someone like Q-Tip? Because when you guys were describing mm-hmm. what a pain in the ass he was, essentially, with it being as politically correct as possible about it. Yeah. And I could only imagine what it must be like in the studio. Like, dude, this is the sickest thing we've ever done. And he just erases it. I was like, I know what that feels like. I might be that person. <laughs> I might have done that a few times. I was like, shit. He is prodigiously talented. Yeah. He had a, a good solo album but like how come he's not what prevents yeah. him from doing more and more and more because it's not like he's not talented is it wisdom because yeah. i see that a lot in chefs it's like yeah, yeah. interesting like ages 27 to 35 theoretically like i've actually like charted this out mm-hmm. that's where most chefs have had their most prolific peaks in their career okay it's like mm-hmm. before they have a child before they get older before life fucking happens mm-hmm. and they know just enough where they can be dumb as fuck and naive and actually think all their ideas are going to work. Yeah. And then life happens and they yeah. grow up a little bit older and they have more experience of like, they become less risk adverse. Yeah. Yeah. Get a little, yeah. Get a little conservative. I think that that's part of it. I think hunger is part of it. Huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you've made that great album or those three great albums. Like when KRS was telling me, like that, when he had to do the rap battle and he just was like, that guy wasn't as hungry as me. He had no idea what it was like to sleep on the subway. He had no idea who was going to lose. <laughs> KRS went so amazing. He's 53 years old. After that interview, I was like, all right, he had a show in LA. I was like, have a good show, man. He's like, oh, I'm going to put my foot in LA's ass. <laughs> he was so serious about destroying that show, like a guy playing his second show of his life. He still has that hunger. Most people cannot sustain that. They cannot sustain that drive to be great. And I think that that's part of it. It's another thing I see in sports too. It's why no one in the NBA wins more than three championships in a row. Mm. How do you stay driven? You know, I think that that's part of it. And then there's also just the zeitgeist thing, man, just that you can be 40 and be as great at making music as you ever were. You can be better than ever. You should be better than ever, but you're not 18 and you're not in touch with what 18 year olds are feeling. You can't be. But how come producers of hip hop can stay more relevant and a longer period mm-hmm. than the actual artist? Like yeah. Rick Rubin gets better and better. That's true. That yeah. dichotomy doesn't fucking make sense to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he looks old. He is old. He's been in the business since the beginnings of hip hop for the most part. Like yeah. how the hell is he know what's going on? And he's not just doing hip hop. He's doing everything. Everything. Well, he's just got that feel, right? He's got the ear for if something touches your heart or if it doesn't. I think it helps that he doesn't have to be the face of the thing. You know, 18-year-olds don't have to look at him and be like, yeah, we want to party with that guy. You know what I mean? I think that that helps. But he also is so 
grounded and, you know, he's super spiritual and everything. I think he can really still listen to music with no ego and just go, is this touching my heart? Is this touching somebody's heart or not? And so that's why people run to him for that because artists lose track of that. So I've just spoken a lot about comparing rap mm-hmm. and hip hop to food. If you can compare some things the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So if you had to label hip hop artists, mm-hmm. who would be the fanciest French restaurant? Ooh, the fanciest French restaurant. Yo, I mean, all the Michelin stars go to Kendrick, you know what I mean? Like, or Andre 3000. That's just, that's just blow your mind. You know what I mean? That's just, you got to dress up to listen to that. You can't just, you know, you can't just walk in (laughs) off the street and like, listen to the, you know what I mean? That's perfection. Yeah. Wow. That's Um, perfection. Who's the one that is like, um. Like you can't really say what's the, like the best Italian restaurant and stuff like that, but like um, shit. Uh, to me, Italian restaurant, like Italian American, like, like what's great like the- Italian American restaurant rapper is like Fifty Cent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, boxers on the wall, spaghetti bolognese, good veal sandwich, and you know everyone in the neighborhood loves it. That's Fifty. What would be Dr. Dre's food? Oh, that's a great question. It would be like, uh, you'd have to have some LA like smoothie on the side, you know, like a little Santa Monica something, but then it's like, it's like a smoothie and a 40 and a 40 ounce. That's, that's, I think it actually does represent himself in Wolfgang Puck. Wow. Yeah. That is it, man. Like Mm -hmm. truly, like, I think we could go city by city and be like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that guy's like that. Mm-hmm. A little bit, yeah, because he's got the corporate side too now. I think, yeah, Wolfgang. Oh. And was revolutionary. And yeah. Wolfgang was like the master sampler. Like, I'm going to take some of that shit. I'm going to do some of this. Yeah. That dude opened up a Chinese restaurant in like the late 80s called Xinhua on Main. Hmm. Still around, still delicious. He just is like so rebellious. You wouldn't expect it from this little Austrian guy. Hmm. But yeah, he's like on the Mount That's Rushmore of like, Dudes that just changed the whole game. That's dope. And in terms of the equivalence, I'd probably say, yeah, Wolfgang and, and Dr. Dre are sort of like mm-hmm. one and the same. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that. Who's the most underrated rapper that never got their recognition? Oh. And there are a lot that got lost. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'll say a few names that come to mind. One is uh, Slick Rick is a guy that a lot of people's favorite rappers cite as a major influence. You know, Jay-Z is like Slick Rick. Andre 3000 is like Slick Rick. You name it from that era. So that's a major influence guy that I would say now maybe gets overlooked. To me, the most underrated rapper of all time. Like criminally overlooked. Mm, That's really tough. I mean, I have some favorites of my own that I feel like people don't necessarily respect. who, Who? Well, it's all very rooted in my era. You know, I grew up loving Soul on Ice by Razkaz. I thought that was just the greatest album ever. Like of my whole high school years, like that just really blew my mind. Sage Francis, a rapper from Rhode Island that I think is incredible and has made some incredible music. Uh, is there any rapper, like you always find this in like rock music, like Nick Drake, like 25 years later, people are like, oh, this guy was really good. 
Is there anyone that did something that was like, whoa, we didn't know about this? Or is it all discovered? Yeah. And then later people are really into it. I've found that kids now, or at least fairly recently, have been really into bone thugs. <laughs> and that kind of like, you know, bone thugs was cool when I was younger, but the kids now are like, no, we love bone thugs. And listening to bone thugs again, I'm like, yeah, this is really interesting. This is way more interesting than we gave it credit for. It was a little too out there maybe for a lot of people, but uh it goes with what younger artists are into now, which is a very melodic thing. And it's, Cleveland is already at that crossroads of Southern rap and, you know, New York influence rap. So they're kind of a precursor to what a, a lot of people are doing now. What about like those, uh, those artists recently, the younger, younger, way generational, I don't even know what the youngest generation is called now, but they were just like saying like Tupac sucks and Biggie sucks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Do you get angry when you hear that? I don't get angry. I um, understand what they're reacting against. You know, they kind of feel like people maybe look down on them because they don't know all the history. And so maybe they're just kind of preemptively being like, this stuff sucks. Objectively, obviously, to me, obviously does not suck, but I get what they're reacting against. And uh, so it doesn't actually, I don't take it personal. Like some people take it personal. I don't take it personal. But like we were talking about earlier, I think when I hear artists say stuff like that. I'm like, that attitude is not going to help you be better at what you do. Mm. You just got to be a little bit more open, you know, and it's okay if you don't know about, I don't expect someone that was born in the year 2000 to know Biggie albums from 1997, at least not yet. It's like my own learning of music. I went back later. I was influenced by what I was influenced by. And as I continued in my career, I went back because it became more interesting to me. I'm sure you're the same way. Is the Wu-Tang Clan like a classic Classic. Is it timeless? Timeless. And even all the solo albums like Raekwon, Incarcerated? It's so timeless. You know, you talk about hearing Wu-Tang for the first time. Like, it's crazy hearing Wu-Tang for the first time. I still think Liquid Swords is my one of my favorite albums oh. of all time. This stuff is like, you know, my I think my dad found that tape in my closet and was not pleased. <laughs> but I think he was, it wasn't just the lyrics. I think he was like, sonically, what the hell is this? This is wrong. So but wrong. This is so, <laughs> so this wrong. Is so wrong. Um, like, is Ghostface the most underrated of the bunch? Oh, he's the most prolific. He's the most prolific. He's got a ton of charisma. I mean, we interviewed him and he was fantastic. He's so funny. Uh, meth, generally people's favorite, but for good reason. Having met him, like, he is so compelling. Like, even as a person, like, he's. He's funny. He's he's tough. He's like he's he's a cool dude. Um, most underrated in the woo, maybe Inspector Deck. Yeah, my DJ is yeah. behind me on that. Yeah. I mean, did you? We don't have the name names, mm -hmm. but were some artists that you wanted to interview unwilling to be interviewed? Yeah. Because like they're still like, dude, the best shit's still ahead, man. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So some, it's that they feel like this is maybe. Premature? Yeah, they feel like it's maybe premature or making people consider them in a very specific way in a specific time in their career. There are others like, we really want a hammer. We wanted hammer. And I understand his hesitation because the way he's been treated by a lot of uh, journalists and stuff like that has not been super kind. But anyone who's in our series is because we're going to celebrate what they do. I, I almost feel like he doesn't know how that. you portrayed MC Hammer hmm. was like not revisionist history, but it was in a way more positive light than how people recall. That's it. I mean, and that's the thing with anyone we want to talk to for our series. It's like, we're talking to you because we're going to celebrate a 
moment in your career that was really influential in a positive way. But someone like Hamra, of course, doesn't necessarily know that. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting 30 years ahead to look back on Hammer and how unique that was and what a lot of people don't know about what he did, which is like, he didn't get millions of dollars and then make this crazy pop music. That was always what he set out to do. And he made his own costumes. He made, like, he would train dancers 12 hours a day. Like, he was an underground artist putting on a world-class stage show. He was always from jump, like, I'm going to be Michael Jackson, but rapping, which is an amazing thing to do. Man, I, I, oh, so many questions pop out of my head. Yeah. So the other thing that I thought was a weird pattern, interesting yeah. pattern, not weird. Talking about Hammer and how you sort of say that he was Jay-Z before Jay-Z in terms of the business side, not mm-hmm. in terms of the artistic side. And then you have someone like Biggie that I never thought of it at this way. I thought yeah. that was fascinating. It was like, he was the first person to do music when he went more pop mainstream that was appealing to men and women. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think is a lot of chefs in my field can relate to is, and something I'm obviously, as we expand and become more mainstream and the word sellout gets thrown all the fucking time from my peer group. I know it. Mm -hmm. What is the threshold where you can sell out in a way that is meaningful, right? Like Biggie, Biggie's one that quote unquote sold out, but everyone's like, this is fucking awesome though. Right? Like, how do you do that? Well, oh, what is that? Well, that that's when you get into that intangible quality, right? Like, a lot of people we interviewed about Big, they said his neighborhood where he grew up, and he was, you know, he was the mayor. Everyone loved him in his neighborhood. They said his neighborhood was, everyone would pass through there, all different kinds of people, different cultures, men, women. He was smooth. He could talk to everybody. And I think that that just translated so naturally into his music. He's like, oh, I can talk to everyone. That's actually how he grew up. He was actually always in touch with the masses, always in touch with the people. I feel like you can't fake it. Hmm. People can tell when you're faking it. But also, if you have that gift, you have to embrace it. Some people have the gift, but then they are afraid of selling out, so they hew to the traditions instead of touching as many people as they can. I think it's an intangible quality. Would you say from your industry that the best thing to tell like an aspiring young artist or even a younger cook is just be you? Just be you, man. Like I studied business, right? And in business, you can basically have two advantages. You can do what other people do better or you can do something different. Those are the only two ways you can have a competitive advantage. And by being you, you have the competitive advantage of doing something different inherently. So that's how you got to move, I think. Well, I'm excited I got to speak to you. What do you got going on? How many? Man, what do I got going on? Well, Hip Hop Evolution Season 2, and I'm glad I got to talk to you because there are just so many connections between our shows. Um, that's out. And then I'm touring a little bit here and there, playing your uh, hometown of D.C. tomorrow, Philly the day after that. Um, but yeah, just touring with this new album and then, you know, more Hip Hop Evolution. Check out Shad on Hip Hop Evolution and all of his music and, and go check him out on tour. Thank you so much for pleasure, for, for visiting this pod, man. I was very excited to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to my conversation with Shad. I really enjoyed it. I think that was one of the, the best conversations I've ever had. He's so fucking talented and smart and 
as great as an artist as he is, he is equally as great as a TV host of a docuseries. And one of my favorite things out there to consume on Netflix, I watch it on multiple viewings and occasions. So thank you, Shad. Thank you guys for listening. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is again, like some things that I'm traveling to and where I've been. And I just got back from Istanbul. I'm not going to go too deep into what I saw, what I ate, because I have to save that for the Netflix show, Ugly Delicious. But some tidbits that I didn't anticipate. The one thing I will tell you is Istanbul is beyond gorgeous. And it has been at the top of my list of places I wanted to visit because of its natural merger of East versus West and sort of being the center of the universe in terms of the world, right? Historically speaking with, with Rome and uh, the Ottoman Empire and, and, and the merger of so many different cultures and religions over so much time that how it affects the food scene and how people eat was something that I just didn't want to read about. I wanted to taste. So the one thing that I will talk about that I did not anticipate was street mussels. They eat street mussels there. And I thought it was just for sucker tourists, but no, everyone eats street mussels. And like lovingly, they love these street mussels. And I was apprehensive because I was being a fucking tourist prick. And I was like, who's going to fucking eat those? And my friends there were like, we do. And you should eat them because they're delicious. I have to eat crow. They were delicious. And you can see them throughout Turkey, but I don't know the history of it. It's something that I need to go deeper into because it's so unique in how they serve it. They cook the mussels off. They pick them. They fold them in rice and they season the rice with spices. And then they put a, like a little nugget of the rice muscle mixture back into the muscle and they line them up. So they look like the muscles are totally raw. So when you go and eat the muscle, you like you eat it like it was like a normal muscle, but there's rice and muscles in there. It's not what I expected. And it is delicious. And they're selling it to people and you can just buy one, two, three. It's just like a quick little snack. What I love about it is not only did I not expect it, it's one of the reasons why travel is so important because it can sort of show that your preconceived notions might be totally wrong, even about something that I thought was not going to be good. Or I thought that like locals wouldn't eat that. I was dead wrong. Locals eat it all the time. So I'm going to go deeper down the rabbit hole of mussels, street mussels in Istanbul. If there are anyone that knows more about it or has the history and the provenance of how it all happened, I'm super curious because it's so different. I use the word weird only simply because it's not something I use the word weird because I don't understand it. And it defied any of my um, understandings of what street food might be. It just is so fucking different to me. So that's probably not what you ever anticipated to hear on a podcast, Street Muscles about Istanbul, but here it is. Uh, me telling you about street muscles. I will shut up. Please give us five stars on however you rate this podcast or listen to it. Thank you so much. Go eat some street muscles, guys. Bye.